Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. What's going on, everybody? I'm Mara. And I'm Tez. And welcome back to Sisters Who Kill. Listen, I know that we all want to go and get the bag, but sometimes y'all are just greedy. If you're listening to this, you probably already know what I'm about to say, that today is the day for you to start your podcast. You have everything that you need, your computer, a little microphone, and Spotify for podcasters. It is the all-in-one platform where you can host, edit, and record your podcast and distribute it everywhere. Where you're listening right now, you can have your podcast there. I promise, for real. And it's free. And you can make some money off of your podcast for free. Free money. Free money is out there. Just go get it by starting your podcast today. Our players this week are Fred Brown Lane Jr., the victim, and Deidre Lane, Fred's wife, and our murderess. Deidre Lane was born Deidre Gary in 1975 to parents Darlene and Charles Gary in Columbia, South Carolina. She and her family lived in this large brick house. They lived in a place where, you know, they had to pay their HOA fees on time. Their lawn was mowed properly. Everything looked great. Her father owned a real estate company and served as the board to a bank. Deidre's parents were very affluent and they gave Deidre everything. Like Deidre wanted for nothing. Anything that her heart desired was hers. She attended W.J. Keenan High School, where she was a very popular AP student who was also on the homecoming court and voted most flirtatious. I'm going to stop you right there because we've had quite a few that were voted most flirtatious in high school. That's the most murderous superlative Mm -hmm. I have noticed. Just so we... Watch out, everybody. Fellows, watch out. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it's so tight. She, right. Now, although she was flirtatious or known as flirtatious, she actually was very academically focused and she was friendly to her peers, but she had a tendency to have like an anger issue, especially when things didn't go her way. She was one of those people that you really didn't want to say no to. In 1993, Deidre finished high school and her family continued to support her. And they got her an apartment. They got her a brand new car. They sent her off to college. 
She went to FAMU, so you know she was out there having a good time. Shout out to the HBCUs. And in her downtime while she was out in Florida at FAMU, she would be tutoring local middle school students. That was all until 1995 when she dropped out from FAM because she was pregnant and she had her first child, her son, Grant. Now, her baby's father's name was Gilbert Jacobs. Now, we don't know much about Gilbert other than in 97, he got a couple of charges for like weed, a couple of charges for coke, but that's all we know. Now, Deidre, she was a person that still wanted to prioritize her study, so she decided that she was going to transfer and study at NCAT. Shout out to the HBCUs. And in January 1996, she enrolled in spring of 96 and graduated from NCAT in 1998 with a degree in agricultural economics. One time while she was in college, she was out and she was at a party and she met a guy named Fred Lane Jr. And she was like, oh my goodness, hello, Mr. Fred Lane Jr. Now, Fred Brown Lane Jr. was born September 6, 1975 in Franklin, Tennessee, where he grew up. Fred was a football prodigy in his hometown, and it was clear to everybody out there that he was going to end up going pro. Now, his daddy was the youngest of 12 kids, and they all played football, so he comes from a football family. His dad was a local football star, ended up going to Tennessee State to play football. Shout Um, out to the HBCUs. Right. And ended up coaching football at Freedom Middle School. Now, Freddie Jr. broke every record there was to break at Franklin High School, where his dad was also held. And most of the records where his dad also went to school, and most of the records were held by his dad. So he was just sitting there like, anything you can do, I can do better, you know? And when the school retired the numbers, they retired Fred Sr. and Fred Jr.'s football numbers on the same night. Now, while attending Franklin Junior High School, Fred Jr. was already getting noticed by Lane College because your boy was fast and the boy was agile, okay? And it was like, man, you this young with all of that, imagine what we can grow you into, you know? So in Fred Jr.'s high school career, he got 1,000 rushing yards on just his senior career while averaging 7.5 yards per carry. So Fred did decide to go ahead and go to the D2 college, Lane College. Um, It's an all-black school in Jackson, Tennessee. Shout out to the HBCUs. And here he was still, you know, doing his thing. He rushed for 4,433 yards, scored 41 touchdowns. And NFL scouts are really starting to notice him. Like, you're doing numbers. You're looking good on the field. We like what we see. but. In the second game of his senior year, Fred injured his left knee. He played out the year with a damaged cartilage and chronic swelling, but still gained 821 yards. But that wasn't as impressive coming from from all his other plays and stuff. And, you know, the drafts are hard. It's slim pickings. And things just didn't go the way he expected them to go in the 1997 NFL draft. But... The GM of the Panthers, Bill Poland, was very impressed with what he had seen from Fred, who is 5'10", 200 pounds, tough, ready to work. So he's like, you know what? Come out to my training camp. I'll let you try out for the team. We'll see how it goes. Now, it's even harder to try out for a team and get on. 
But Fred was determined, and he ended up walking on as an undrafted free agent to the NFL and became a Carolina Panther. And in his first season in the NFL, he showed out. Panther fans loved how he was always willing to push and go the extra mile for his team. His teammates just loved how he was just able to make you laugh and have fun. He loved people. People loved him. He was great. They said he was a real simple guy. And when I say simple, they said he wore a white T-shirt and some jeans every day. Never too much. Like, <laughs> don't need all that flashy shit. He just he just here chilling, right? His teammates would say that he's always joking around. He said he didn't do nothing but grin and play football. They say all he want to do is smile and run around. Now, when Deidre first laid eyes on Fred, she kind of like yelled out to him because, you know, when you see what you want and you decide that you're going to go for it. She did. And next thing you know, they were hanging out at the Waffle House. They were talking. They were canoodling. They were doing all that. And they were inseparable. Like, yeah, she knew that he was down because of his senior year, but she knew that he was determined to get what he wanted. And he did. So talk about an investment gone right. Right. He's. A panther. That meant that he was signing contracts and getting like actual money coming in. So she loved it. It was great. Now, Deidre, she had this good friend named Natasha. Natasha was her bestie, best friend. And Natasha worked at a bank, Wachovia. Do y'all remember Wachovia? I remember Wachovia. Shout out to Wachovia. R.I.P. Wachovia. Anyways, Natasha worked at Wachovia and she was a bank teller there. And so her and Deidre came up with a scheme because money, we need it. So here's what happens. It's July 1st, 1998. Natasha goes to work as normal. She stuffs her drawer just a little extra that morning. She stands behind her teller lane. She does her job. And all of a sudden, a robber comes in. Don't worry, guys. You don't have to be scared. The robber is just bestie Deidre in a wig coming to rob the bank. She goes up to the bank teller, Natasha, her bestie, and slides a note. The note says, quote, give me all your money in the drawer. Don't say anything. Hurry. Natasha, of course, doesn't know who this person is, right? This this mask, this mask, well, not even mask, doesn't know who this person is, right? Gives her her money in the drawer because somebody came here to rob the bank. Deidre leaves with $41,200. They come and they question Natasha. Natasha's like, I was just so scared. Like somebody came and slid me this dangerous note. I saw that person leave and they're like, do you have any idea? Can you describe the person? They were like, she was like, I was just so in shock. I can't describe the person. I remember seeing them leaving like a black Mustang, but I don't really know who that could have been. And they were like, Natasha, you didn't even press the silent alarm. She was like, I was just, I was just in shock. Like I just, I forgot. I was just so in shock. I couldn't believe that this was happening to me. Back in the home of Deidre and Fred, Deidre was like, you know what, babe? Things are coming in and your opportunities, we're in love. Your opportunities are doing well. I'm doing well. We should go ahead and get married. Now, I'm not sure how the conversation went about when they were going to get married, when the formal proposal happened, when they actually like walked down the aisle. However, they did get married kind of eloped. And when Fred told his family about this, they were like, excuse me, what? How dare you not and they were be a just, part of your big day? Right. Like, all of a sudden, you in here talking about my wife, my wife. Nigga, when does become your wife? Like, what? 
I mean, people were like, listen, I like to get dressed up. I like to go to events. I like to toast in your honor. Why didn't you tell us that you were getting married? That's a huge red flag. Like, But I would expect you to elope. I would expect that from you. People wouldn't expect that from me. You know what I'm saying? No, absolutely not. You know, so it's different. You know how people are. And they were like, yeah, he's... He may be a laid back guy, but he was very open and talkative and he loved us and he would have told us if he was going to get married. And we never in a moment noticed, never in a million years would think that we wouldn't be a part of his big day. Now, when they did get married, they just went down to the courthouse and it was really simple. It was them, the judge, and their witness. Their witness was Deidre's best friend, Natasha the bank teller. So in 1999, Deidre and Lane Jr. announced that they are expecting a baby. They're really excited and they're like, okay, it's time to start settling down. So they move to this place called Matthews, which is a suburb of Charlotte, North Carolina. And things are great. Deidre is now 25. She already has her son. She's pregnant with her second child. She's married to an NFL player. Like life is picture perfect. It's great. Now, Fred and Deidre, it was very clear that they were in love with each other, at least at some point. But it was also very clear that, yeah, they in love with each other, but they're not a good fit for one another. And now that Deidre's married to Fred, that means that Deidre's parents are like, great girl. I mean, I'm not saying you're cut off, but I'm saying you got a husband. You know what I'm saying? And we're not going to fund your life anymore because you have a husband that we know is doing well. So if she wanted to do anything like go shopping or buy something or get her hair done or get her nails done or get a weave done, didn't matter. She had to use his money instead of her parents' money, which really wasn't an issue at first because, you know, he got big checks coming in now. Of course, he can make sure that she can go shopping. But her shopping was getting crazy. Like she would go out and she would just like, have $15,000 in cash on her or $20,000 in cash. If she was going on a shopping spree, she was going on a shopping spree. And this was really stressful to Fred. Like, like it's already stressful that you're trying to have some money. You're making a lot of money at a very young age and you're spending it like it's nothing, like it's disposable income. And at the end of the day, it's really not. And the two would start arguing and bickering all the time. And it was to the point where, like, you know how, like, the wives get together, the couples get together. No one wanted to hang out with them because they couldn't even keep it together for everybody to hang out for a couple of hours. How embarrassing. I would hate that. But I've also been there, so. Hmm. And it was (laughs) embarrassing, actually. (laughs) Now that you mention it. (laughs) Everybody in Fred's court is like, Deidre is hot-tempered. She a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Like, how you don't want your star football husband signing autographs? Why are you constantly changing his phone number? One friend even says that they were at a comedy club after Fred had knee surgery. And Deidre said something like, oh, to kick you in your knee. He was like, my wife was like, whoa. What is wrong with these people? Like, baby, I would never say that to you. 
him when they got and into it. And it clearly wasn't a joke. Like, right. It it was obviously said in a way that was not funny. And so it got to the point where their bickering and their arguing started to become violent. Teammates said that Fred was coming to work with knots and scratches and bruises on him, which I find kind of like, I just know when I play soccer, I came back with knots and scratches and bruises. So this is kind of funny, like, that's concerning for a football player. But I guess they was but like, these ain't the ones you get on the field. Right. And also, they're wearing a lot more padding than soccer players are. That's why soccer's the real like sport. He's got- Some of his teammates were even concerned at times, like, should I call the police? Is this okay? I mean, it's low-key normal for them, but it's not normal for me. But they also knew... That it wasn't one-sided either. For example, one Sunday afternoon in June of 1999, Deidre and her friend Margaret headed over to Deidre's house after picking up some beer from the store. Now Fred's in the kitchen yapping on the phone. And when he hung up, Deidre makes a little smart-ass comment about who could possibly be on the other side of that phone. They said that he threw a dish rag at her, like, chill out. She throws it back. And then they say that Fred charges at Deidre, grabbing her by the neck and pushing her into the sink. Said her feet were dangling in the air and she was just gasping. And Margaret was like, I was shocked and appalled. I don't know. That, that was crazy. As alarming as these bits of rage were, there was another thing that kind of raised flags with this couple, and it was Deidre's spending habit. She was so after the money, Fred ain't even get to cash his own checks. She held all the money. She took care of everything or said she was taking care of everything. Fred be asking for money and be like, oh, where'd this go? Mm, the financial advisor got it. She even had Fred go out and buy her a $60,000 ring. And this nigga was in contempt for not paying child support. Well, the ring looked good on her finger and she had to have it. If you got the money, girl, you should know that his child support still needs to be paid. I guess she felt like this wasn't her baby, so she wasn't concerned. But all, all the kids matter. First, just because your first baby daddy ain't paying child support does not mean that you are just not taking child support away from every child. And y'all, it wasn't even like, oh, he just let his child support slip. Your boy was dry. He had to go to a teammate on two separate occasions to borrow money to pay his bills. And he was like, yo, bro, I'm broke. And he's like, bro, we making 600000 Money. Like, <laughs> how are you broke? And he's like, you know, Deidre keep telling me she's sending this money to this financial advisor. And the financial advisor keeps saying, what money? I ain't received shit. You still let her have access to your credit card, so. I mean, I understand you're married, but would have opened up my own account with just me on it. And that's where my checks would have been deposited from there on out. And did you think that being broke made Deidre slow down on her shopping? No, you girls out here writing bad checks, which we all know comes with an extra fee, and it's just not worth the hassle or the money. This shit is stressing Fred out. His game is slacking in football. 
He's getting suspended. 1998, once for something that he did during the national anthems, not a lot of detail. And then uh, another time for grabbing his crotch after a touchdown. Was... He, he didn't stand up during the national anthem. He sat down on a bench. But just shit wasn't going the way anybody wanted to go. And early in 1999, Fred and Deidre was like, you know what? We're going to take a break or break this up or whatever. It ain't working. It ain't working. You spending all my money. You're making me miserable. She was like, well, nigga, you making me miserable too. They kind of took some space. And Fred started messing around with Kim Hudson, the girl who he was in a 10-year relationship with before he met Deidre. Okay? Now, he went over here. And moved in with her for a little bit while they was on their break and ended up having a break baby. But let Kim tell it, he acknowledges his mistakes and asked me to forgive him. And he said, I'm ready for my family now. But girl, he had a family over there. Like a kid and, and everything. And they was pregnant. Like not just not just a stepchild, a but like his child also, you know, but whatever, you know. Streaming October 6th on Paramount+. Plus. First place I learned about death was a pet cemetery. Dead things buried in that land would come back. There's something else. Something's wrong with Timmy. He needs time to adjust. That's not Timmy. Something's talking through him. Sometimes dead is better. Pet Cemetery, Bloodlines, Rated R, streaming only on Paramount Plus. Now, his 1999 season was mid. He only had 475 yards, 115 carries, one touchdown. We're not impressed, right? By the end of the season, the Panthers like, yeah, man, you gotta go. And it wasn't even like his bad playing was all of the reason. But the Panthers had a lot of drama going on on their team, and they were trying to bring a good image, and so they had to let a couple players go that season. So he gets traded to the Indianapolis Colts, and outside of the drama on the team, they said the drama with his wife also played into him getting traded. So he goes to the Indianapolis Colts, and Fred was ready for a fresh start. The president at the Colts was the old GM from the Panthers who had told Fred to come to the tryouts. So Fred kind of felt a little peace at home on this trip. Like, I'm so happy to be working with you again. Somebody to look out for me. And this guy says that the first day Fred walks in with a big old hug and he's just like, I'm glad to be back with you and I'm, I'm glad to know that you still believe in me, right? Fred is just trying to make a new life. His wife is still running him dry. And I guess he feels like he's got this little connection with the whole team. He's got this little connection with the president. He's like, listen, man, I'm in a bit of a bind. Can I get a $20,000 advance? (laughs) I need some money. Like, you know how broke you have to be to need $20,000? Like, niggas be like, okay, 1000 2000 maybe even 10000 might dig me out this hole. But to be so behind that you need to, like, get this much money to straighten things out, it's a lot. And that's just to be okay, not mm-hmm. to, like, Right. Thrive. But you know what the problem is? 
The problem is that he has finally made up his mind to divorce Deidre, so he got him a place in Indianapolis, but is still supporting her back in North Carolina. So he's keeping up with two places, but it's so toxic. It's almost like he has to, right? Deidre has this, I'm going to do you, you know, you do me wrong, I'm going to do you worse type of attitude, right? She was talking to one of the Panther wives, and there was this guy who used to play on the Panthers, Ray Carruth. He caught a murder charge for a drive-by shooting that killed his pregnant girlfriend. Apparently, when Deidre heard this and was talking about this with her friend, her response was not, oh, that's terrible, but more of a, I ain't do it, but if I did, they should have shot her where they knew it would kill her right away, like in the head. And the girl's like, that is just not what you say when we talk about one of our fellow team wives being murdered, girl. Have some decorum. For real. Right before the season starts, or right in the beginning of the season, Fred is still getting in some trouble because he is busted for possession of a handgun and marijuana while the cops pulled him over for a traffic violation. So niggas is really just trying to figure things out and get their life on the right path, but making good decisions is hard. If you're even slightly keeping up with what's going on in the real world, especially if you're listening to podcasts like Sisters Who Kill, you know that the world is crazy. And it's really important to make sure that you're protected in this crazy world. That's why I am so excited about today's sponsor, Dawn's Gift Sets. Dawn's Gift Set was started by Felicia Loving in Detroit, Michigan in 2019. Dawn's has cute and fashionable non-lethal protection items such as self-defense keychains, stun guns, and disguised knives. The hottest item right now are the defense wristlets. There's pages and pages of different colors that you can choose from that match your personality. And these wristlets are portable wearable protection on your arm for just in case. I have a Dawn's gift set wristlet and so does Taz and we love it. You can wear the wristlet all together if you're going out. The standard wristlet comes with a pepper spray, a personal alarm, a window breaker, and to make it cute, Dawn has added color-coordinated pom-poms, an inspirational keychain, and some lip gloss. Dawn's gift set makes sure that you are able to defend yourself in this crazy world without becoming a killer. And for being a listener of Sisters Who Kill, you can use the code SISTA, that's S-I-S-T-A, code SISTA to get free shipping on everything, no minimum purchase required. Make sure you check her out, dawnsgiftset.com, on Instagram at dawnsgiftset. All of her links will be in the description below. And enjoy the rest of the show. In March of 2000, Fred was back home to visit in the Carolinas, and The cops were called to the Lane home. Deidre called the police after her and her husband got into a very heated argument. So after the argument, she ends up running across the street and goes to a neighbor's house because she says that she's so scared. Um, Fred tries to follow her to the and tries to actually get inside of the neighbor's house. The cops made it. Everybody calmed down a bit and they get Deidre to explain what happened. And according to Deidre, she says that they started to get into an argument and Fred got physical and was really upset. And Deidre was wearing this necklace and Fred did like the uh, the T.I. snatch from Nunu and ATL of her necklace. <laughs> and he was clearly drunk and When he did that, he scratched her and she was like, I was so scared because he scratched my neck in the process of like yanking off that chain. Deidre, remember at this 
time she's pregnant and they're like, okay, what do you want to do? And she ends up not pressing charges at this time. The thing about Fred and even Fred and his friends is that they drink a lot. When he drank, things did not go well. And because he was drinking and Deidre was always arguing and they were always arguing together, most of his violent outbursts were towards Deidre, just like most of her violent outbursts were towards him. A lot of Fred's friends say that, yeah, when he was drunk, he would get there. But the majority of it and a lot of the times when we see it, especially sober and in the right mind, Deidre is still very much So that was March. And in April of 2000, Deidre decides that it's time to take out a life insurance policy on her husband. He's a famous NFL football player. There are so many reasons and ways that he can get hurt and that he will no longer be able to provide for his entire family. I think a $5 million policy will be just perfect. Now, the $5 million policy was on behalf of Fred and Deidre, and they were each the primary beneficiary. Here's the thing. When she went to go file the paperwork, the person helping him file the paperwork was like, all right, so, you know, it's insurance money. So if he kills himself, if he kills himself, you don't get the money. If you kill him, you don't get the money. She's like, huh? So what happens in that case? Who would get it? So we need to put the children's name on here as beneficiaries. Okay, because they wouldn't kill him. Okay, so I need to make sure their names are the ones they're receiving. Great, thanks for letting me know that. So Deidre is still pregnant. It's a couple months later. She is literally about to pop. Fred is back home to visit, you know, getting ready because his baby's about to pop. And he's in the house. He's watching TV. And then he hears a gunshot in the house, inside of the house. He goes to see what's happening. And here is his baby mama with a shotgun, a 12-gauge shotgun that he had no idea that she had. And I don't know if she just fumbled with the gun trying to put it together, but she had fired the gun in the house. And the exit point of the gun's shooting was her son's bedroom. Like now, Grant wasn't there that night, but like still, this could have very well been a very dangerous situation. Because what the hell are you doing? Letting a gun go off inside the house. Inside of the house. And where did you get this 12-gauge shotgun from? Like, what are you doing with this thing? Everything calms down. There's a hole in the wall. She covers it with a Mickey Mouse drawing. Shatterings. Little pellets everywhere. But no worries. No need to clear that up. Everything's fine. Just go back to watching TV, darling. Now, Fred, he was a little shaken up by this. So he took the gun away from the house. He gave it to a friend named Brian Peoples. And he was like, you know what? Things are getting wild. She now has this weapon that I had no idea she had. And I think I'm done. I'm through. I'm through. Like, I'm going to go stay with my parents because I just can't be here. It's getting crazy. So he leaves and he goes to his childhood home. He's like, I'm going to stay with my parents. While he's out of town, she goes to her doctor and she's like, hey, I'm in a very abusive relationship. He's beating me. He's doing me wrong. I need to make sure that this baby is induced and taken out of me before he comes back from his work trip because we don't want to we don't want the baby to be harmed any further than it probably already has so they're like okay great we'll schedule your inducement and they schedule it for June 29th because Fred's gone now Fred he's really upset about this like I'm coming back even if you don't want me in the hospital room I'm going to be in there anyway I'm going to make sure that my kid is sees me when they're born the same day that she asked to be induced 
Deidre goes to her Kmart. I don't know why, girl. I guess Kmart sells guns or used to sell guns. They probably did in 2000. And ask more about the guns. A few days pass and... On June 28th, Fred returns from his work trip. And on June 29th, the baby is born. Their baby's name is Pilar. And when the baby was born, Fred didn't come to the hospital by himself. He made sure that he had people around him. He brought his brother Keith and his friend Howard. Now, he went back to Nashville, stayed with his folks because clearly wasn't staying there. But he did have to make another trip to Charlotte. So he was pretty much going, he was really going back and forth because he's a within the matter of days, but he really did have to make this last trip to Charlotte because he needed to sell his motorcycle. And he was telling his dad, like, I got to sell this motorcycle. I need the money. Like we down, when I tell you I'm down bad, I'm down bad. And so his dad was like, you know, so you got to do what you got to do, even though like, we really don't want you to go. Everybody here is like, we really don't want you to go. But Deidre, she bought him the plane ticket to come So clearly she was okay, but selling this motorcycle was really what was most important at the time because they needed the money. The house wasn't completely empty while Fred was gone. Deidre's mom had moved in to help with the baby and make sure that, you know, everything was doing all right because Deidre's got a four-year-old right now and a newborn. Things are hard. So at this time, Fred's 24, Deidre's 25. They're both fairly young at this time still, right? And a lot of life has been lived. So it's July 6th, the year is 2000, and it has been seven days since Deidre has given birth to her daughter. Fred walks into his house, puts his key in the door, goes through, and the alarm starts going off. Now, this is already a little weird because they almost never use the alarm, right? So Fred continues to the room, cup in one hand, two bags in the other. He's headed to go shut the alarm off. When he gets to the bedroom, Deidre is there waiting with a 12-gauge Mossberg shotgun. Now, the couple is yards apart from each other, and Deidre fires a shot that tears through his yellow Tommy Hilfiger shirt, through his upper right side of his chest, shredding his heart. He slumps down and just starts pouring out blood. Then Deidre walks towards him, straddles over him, and fires a shot into the back of his head. This took half his skull off. Brain matter and blood is everywhere and Deidre is soaked in it. She puts the shotgun down and she dials 911. But of course, Fred is already dead in the entryway of his own home. Deidre's hysterical when she calls 911 and they're trying to soothe her. She's on the phone call for like 11 minutes. She's like, I shot him. I shot him. I've got to feed my baby and there's blood all over me. My husband's blood. My husband's blood is all over me. He's Fred Lane. He's a football player. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I loved him so much. Oh, my God. The 911 operator is telling her, calm down, ma'am. Tell me what happened. She says, I was just standing here and he came in. And I just had the baby seven days ago. And he came in and he just starts choking me. And he was like, the baby's not mine. And he starts hitting me. And he just got shot because he wouldn't leave me alone. I just kept telling him to stop. And I shot him. And it got me because she said that in the 911 call, he just got shot. That <laughs> phrasing of words, like... Each time I see it, I'm like, he just got shot. He he just, okay. he played too much is basically what she said. The way she say you just got shot, it just, she says, I think I shot him in the chest or the stomach. And I think I just shot him again. I don't know. Please send somebody. There's blood everywhere. There's blood all over me. She's like, I don't know. I don't want to go near him. I don't know what to do. She's like, I'm Pilar. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Pilar. Like, I can't believe I just took away your daddy. You're seven days old. You're never even going to know this man. I don't know what the fuck I just did, right? 
So she continues to tell the 911 operator, like, you know, this isn't the first time he's assaulted me. It was in the papers once, but I denied it. I mean, I didn't really want to let my friends know. I was embarrassed because look who he is. He's Fred Lane, right? And he told me if I tell anybody, then I'd make it worse and I'd ruin his career. Like, I don't know. And she's like, he just walked in the door two, three, maybe four minutes ago. He wasn't even here that long. And he was just coming back from the kitchen. And he just said, somebody told me that's not my baby. And I don't even know if he dropped his luggage or not. And she's like, I just, I just had my baby seven days ago. So Fred is, of course, again, dead when the police arrive. He barely makes it into his house. Key's still in the door. Remember, he was distracted by the alarm. And they find his body face down in a pool of blood in the entryway. Deja told the police that she and Fred had got to arguing just a minute before he walked through the door and that he was choking her and she fired the pump-action shotgun. Now, when investigators looked, they said that they didn't see any strangulation marks on her. But her story's her story. Now... The cops are like, okay, there's no scratches, there's no bruises, there's nothing on your face, neck, or hands, so we're not fully convinced that this is the story. And the only injury that you're reporting at this time is that your shoulder hurts. Now, the tea about the shoulder hurts is, does it hurt because this man beat you up and injured your shoulder? Or does it hurt because you had the butt of the rifle sitting on your shoulder and when that shit caught back, you still feel it? I feel like that's the answer, Jerry. Yeah. Yeah. Later that day, news about Fred's death began to circulate throughout the state and around the country, and news stations reported that Deidre shot her husband in self-defense. Now, some news sources painted her as the battered woman, of course, battered woman syndrome, and that she killed her husband as a result of that. Meanwhile... Cops are processing the crime scene and they're like, hmm, some of the things that Deidre is saying, they're not really adding up. Police said that the crime scene really looked like Fred was ambushed instead of like in an argument with his wife because A, he was shot in the chest in the doorway of the bedroom. The first shot was pretty significant. His keys were literally in the front door. So it's very much giving like I opened the door and I kind of pushed the door in because my hands were full. The medical examiner was like, listen, after that first shot, he was pretty much, they said, quote, walking dead at that point. I don't have any other, end quote. I really don't have any other way of describing that. And so he was out of it, but maybe he made a couple of steps towards the hallway away from the bedroom door. He was laying on the ground dying when Deidre walked up to him and shot him in the back of the head. She literally blew his entire head off with a second shot when he was down. Later that night, Deidre is released from the hospital because, of course, they took her in. And as soon as she's released from the hospital, a pair of detectives are waiting to pick her up. She wasn't arrested, but they took her down to the police station. It was time for her to be on tape and to give them what she knew. In her interview, she had her seven-day-old infant with her, and Deidre claimed 
that her mom had just left the house with little Grant right before Fred came home. She tells police the same story that she told them at the scene, that her and Fred started fighting. He was choking her. She got scared. She shot him. Deidre said that she ran to the bedroom. Fred chased her to the closet, and that's when she ran into the closet and got the shotgun. I just like, no, unless you have that shotgun already, a shotgun, you have to hoist it up. And if you have to load it, I'm assuming she already had it loaded, but still you got to like hoist it up to the point where he would have enough time to turn and run. I don't, yeah, I was like, I don't know if I'm getting ahead of myself here, but clearly she was standing there waiting on him. But still, this is her first story to the cops. And she says that she ran to the bedroom, that Fred chased her, she got the gun, and then she shot him. Police were like, y'all ran to the bedroom and you were able to get the shotgun before he was able to get to you? Like, ma'am, I know things are crazy, but... We also know that he's a professional football player. He can outrun you. And we also know that, like, girl, you gave birth seven days ago, so the your in-shape husband should be able to outrun you. Absolutely. None of this said, right, none of this said well with the police officers, but they didn't have anything. So she was able to go home that night. The next day, the police are doing their investigating, and they talk to the people that the couple interact with. And some of the friends said, you know— They had been violent towards each other before. Honestly, hate to hear it, but this is no really, this is no surprise. It was only a matter of time. Some of Fred's teammates also were like, listen, he would come in this locker room and we were like, dang, bro, you did not leave the field last night with these bumps and bruises. How are you coming back with bumps and bruises that you didn't get on the field? In the locker room, you know, people talk and he was like, man, it's Deidre, man. She doing this shit. She whooping my ass almost every day. Two days after Fred's death, Fred Sr. went to the police and he was ready to tell the police everything that he knew. He talked about his son going to the Colts, about him moving to Indianapolis by himself that year, about him being in Indianapolis, still making constant trips to Charlotte while paying the bills at Charlotte. And if he was at Charlotte, staying in Nashville, like things were really complex. Most of it was surrounding this relationship. But one of the main things was that Fred was starting to feel like maybe he will have a sense of independence because while in Indianapolis, he had more control of his money. He was finally in the position that he wasn't going to go broke as soon as his check cashed or I guess go up in the negatives, down in the negatives. Fred Sr. was like, listen, he had a plan. He was going to go there. He was going to sell that motorcycle. He was going to kiss his new baby. And he was going to head back to Indianapolis. He didn't really want, he didn't want no smoke while he was there. So on August 22nd, 2000, Deidre was charged with first degree murder, which was a capital crime in North Carolina. And this was front pages everywhere. She was given a bail and her bail was set at $100,000, which she did was able to pay, and she waited to go to trial. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial, bitch. Take that shit to trial. Instacart helps you get beer and wine delivered in as fast as an hour. So, whether you need to fill the cooler for tailgate season or fill your glass for Pinot by the fire season, you can save time by getting fall sips delivered in just a few clicks. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Must be 21 or over for alcohol delivery where available. Instacart. Add life to cart. So while she's out on bail, the feds are building a case against her. And not for this murder against her husband, but for this Wachovia bank robbery that she fucked around and did, right? 
So they're like showing her picture to people who know her. And they're like, you know this woman? They're like, yeah, this DJ. You know this woman? Yeah, this DJ. You know this woman? Not DJ done put a, a, a wig and a mole on. That's DJ. Everybody know who this is. Now they show this picture to the bank teller, Natasha. Remember her good friend? You know this woman? Mm-mm. I ain't never seen her in my life. You sure you don't know this woman? No, I don't know this woman. You don't know this woman who sat here and threatened you in the bank? She don't even look familiar like that? Mm-mm. So Natasha breaks down and she was like, listen, okay, we did it. We, we robbed the bank. That's my friend. I do know her. I'm sorry. I'm I'm really sorry. So on September 15th of 2000, like a month after she's out on bail, a little less than a month even, she gets arrested by the FBI for grand larceny charges. Now, Natasha has told— That sucks. You made bail and then you got arrested again for something else. Yeah. Yeah. The decisions you make, man. So Natasha is like, listen, you have to understand, this was all Deidre's idea. She came up with the plan right after her and Fred got married. And she starts telling the police exactly how it went down. I went into work. I filled my cash with $40,000. I know it was more than I needed, but we were planning a robbery. Had to have something to make out of it, right? Deidre comes in. She hands me the note. She leaves with the money out the back door. And when she went out the back door, I go look for her out the front door. And I just so happened to see a black car leaving the parking lot. And so that's why I said that that was the person who did it. So it's September 19th, like just four days after the arrest. Deidre's still in jail. She's got to appear in court. And I'll tell y'all what, it run in the family because at the same time, her brother is facing federal bank robbery charges. I heard that they used to rob banks together back in the day. And I'm trying to figure out, and I'm almost thinking, I don't know if they robbed... <laughs> I have to imagine that if they're both like, I heard that this was not just first rodeo at the bank. No, it's not. But then they say the first time that she went and tried to rob a bank, she left with no money. She said, I got a gun in my purse. Give me the money. And then left with no money. Don't don't know how that went. But they put her in a little diversion class. It was like, you didn't have a weapon. You didn't take no money, but you did try to rob a bank. So we are going to put the charge against you, but go to this little diversion court. We'll call it even, okay? So I guess this time she had some kahunis or inside person, whatever the case may be, but she went through with it, got some money, right? Yeah, her brother is in here, and he, it's several bank charges for him. So she has two courts scheduled for this day, one for the murder charge and one for the bank robbery. And when she gets to the case about the murder charge, they're like, listen, judge, you don't even know what all is going on here. This girl is just money hungry. And this ain't a self-defense case. This is a money-motivated case, right? And they file an affidavit that lets Keisha Hudson testify. And she was like, listen, Fred told me that DJ told him that he stole some money from the bank in Charlotte, North Carolina. And Fred was like, listen, Deidre's afraid that the police are after her because of the bank, and her friend was a teller, and she came out with a bag of money, and 
after hearing this, the judge is like, if you robbed the bank and you killed your husband out of self-defense, that's one thing. But if you robbed that bank and you killed your husband out of fear that he was going to say something about you robbing this bank, that's another connected thing. And now you're looking a little more dangerous than you presented. So you're going to sit in jail until we sort this whole thing out. With this new news, Deidre could face the death penalty, possibly, depending on how the prosecution chooses to file this case. Natasha, on the other hand, was released on a $50,000 unsecured bond and was given five years probation for her participation in this crime. Five years for being the teller in a bank robbery. Not even five years. Five years probation. Five years probation. (laughs) I didn't know they were giving just such slaps on the wrist. You know? For robbing the bank. I'm in the wrong line of work. Now, the prosecution, they're really trying to build this case against her, but I think they're a little nervous about losing the case. Like, yeah, they do have this life insurance, and they might be able to bring up this whole bank robbery to show that she's money hungry. We'll see how the judge and, you know, the defense lets you play it or whatever. But could she possibly get away with a battered woman's syndrome story? Um... NFL players are not looking good at this time. And Fred just got hemmed up with a drug possession charge and also a drunk driving charge. It's just not looking like the cleanest case that it could be. Because of that, three years later, they come to Deidre with a plea deal. They come up with this plea deal in August of 2003, and they're like, okay, we will drop the murder charge if you plead guilty to voluntary manslaughter. And she's like, you know what? I will accept that deal. Because she accepts the deal, no one actually went to trial. But the hearing lasted more than a week, which is unusual for a sentencing. And as for the bank robbery charges, that was also not looking very good for Deidre because Fred had some of the players that he was cool with. They had the same agent. He was telling other players that, like, you know, I think Deidre was doing some crazy, like, robbing a bank type shit. And so... On October 29, 2003, Deidre is now 28, and during the sentencing, the prosecution described Deidre as an abusive woman who was money-hungry and only cared about an insurance policy. The defense said no, Deidre is a battered woman who killed her husband in self-defense. And of course, there's the players in the streets that are saying that Deidre killed her husband because she didn't want him to snitch about robbing the banks. Believe which story as you will. Now, remember, the media was having a field day. Even though she didn't go to trial, media was having a field day. And it was really, whose side do you want it to take on this? Most, But most things were pretty consistent. And that was that their relationship that started off loving became volatile on both sides. And that violence grew and grew and grew until this ultimate demise. During the days of the sentencing, which is basically, it's not a trial, but the defense and the prosecution are literally sitting there going back and forth, proving a point of why she should or should not be sentenced to the max. And during that time, Deidre was pretty quiet. She stayed slumped in her chair. Her eyes were down. She spent a lot of time crying. And when the medical examiner came to show how Fred's body was, she actually couldn't stand it and wasn't in the courtroom. She left the courtroom again when the police department and the fire experts showed the yellow shirt that Fred was wearing and it was covered in blood. 
And she was allowed to leave. You are allowed to leave. When the firearms expert came to testify, his name was Bill McBrayer. He said that that shot to the head was from a distance of eight feet or less. The prosecution concluded the sentencing hearing by showing photographs of the crime scene and videotaped reenactments of how the shooting could have taken place and showed it to the judge. With those reenactments, on top of the medical examiner's report saying that the first shot pretty much knocked him backwards and he was down after that and unconscious more than likely after that, that second shot was completely unnecessary because if she was shooting him because he was a threat, at that time he was no longer a threat. Before her sentence was handed down, Deidre was allowed to address the court. She said, to the Lane family, I am sorry for the loss of Fred. I loved Fred dearly. He was a good man, a gentleman at times, but at times he scared me, and I didn't know who he was at that time. I'm sorry for the pain that I have caused. I pray that one day you can forgive me because I do consider you family. Her sentence came back, and for the voluntary manslaughter of Fred Lane Jr., she received seven years, 11 months in the Riley Correctional Center for Women. This was the maximum for voluntary manslaughter. And the judge said that he gave that to her because he really feels that this was deliberate. This was premeditated, even though she wasn't charged with murder because Dia didn't check, take that chance. He also said that Deidre acted with malice by shooting her husband that second time, rendering him helpless. Fred Sr., of course, he was very upset about how all this went down. The fact that she wasn't charged with murder and that she was going to be out in less than eight years. And he was just like, it's it's the most horrible thing they could have ever done. He really feels that, you know, she took his son's life. And so she does not deserve to see the light of day outside of prison walls again. He said that it was almost like she pulled a trigger on him. Deidre also pleads guilty to the unrelated charge of confusion of conspiracy to commit bank larceny. And she is sentenced to four months in jail, which she served and was fined the $41,200 that she stole. There was no appeal. She only got eight years. Life's good. Um, And while she was incarcerated, her family had custody of her two children. Now, if you're wondering what happened to the insurance policy, a settlement of slightly less than $4 million was reached to be distributed equally among Fred's three daughters. An undisclosed but smaller portion would be given to eight-year-old Grant, who grew up with his half-sister Pilar and Deidre's parents. Deidre became eligible for release in 2009 and got out on March 3rd after serving almost six years in prison for the murder of her husband. She walked out of the Raleigh Correctional Center for Women to a BMW and her family waiting on her. After being released, she was on probation for nine months and stayed with her parents and two daughters in Columbia, South Carolina. Deidre changed her name, her last name, back to Gary and tried to move on with her life. She got a job working at the Kitty College Summer Camp at St. Augustine University. Now she was working there with this other woman, Doris Bullock, and... Somebody went up to the school in 2013 and was like, I got a problem. And it was like, well, man, what's your problem? And it was like, this Deidre lady and this Doris lady, why they working here? You did a background check on them? She's like, yeah. 
She was like, so explain to me why you have a woman convicted of murder for killing her husband and a woman convicted of murder for killing her child working at a daycare watching these kids. The university president is like, listen, Doris and Deja are exemplary and professional employees. They are productive citizens who make positive contributions to the community and their work is highly regarded and the parents have expressed support for their children's program. She's like, now... I do remain confident in their ability, but y'all raised a lot of noise and y'all got me on the news. So I did reassign them both to administrative roles at the university. She's like, it's paramount to maintain a positive learning environment for the children and we'll continue to maintain diversity within our staff and evaluate employees on their merit. Some of the local parents complained. Some of them were like, okay. But at the end of the day, Deidre, Doris, and their boss, which a lot of people can't find a supportive boss like this, you know, but they was like, listen, they paid their debt to society. They're not going to pay it twice. Like, you did the time. You're supposed to come out and get a fresh start. And how are you going to do that? if nobody gives you a job or nobody gives you the fresh start that you're supposed to have. I don't know about the lady who killed her kid, though. That's, and now you let her watch other people's kids? I don't know how that one works. Yeah, that's not, that, I wouldn't like that at all. Now, you remember we told y'all that Deidre's brother was facing some grand larceny charges too well it did not work out as well for him he was sentenced to 114 years in prison damn for bank robberies that he committed from 1999 to 2000 and his projected release date is april 25th 2101 so the reason why his is so heavy is because he did armed robberies several of the bank tellers came and testified at the sentencing. It was like, I'm glad this is happening to you. You put a gun to my head and walked me to the vault and da 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 And, like, Deidre might have said she had a gun on her, but as far as we know, she never actually had a gun on her. A gun was never pulled on anybody. All she did was say, give me the money. Tried her luck with that. Yeah. Oh. After she failed the first time, first you don't succeed, pick yourself up and try again and make sure That's you what know they the say. bank teller. <laughs> wow, that was a really fun story. All right, y'all, it's time for... Well, I'm not black. I'm OJ. I didn't do it, but if I did, this is how I would have got away with it. I ain't do it, but if I did. It seems to me that robbing a bank has much less consequences if it's unarmed than murder does. I'm just saying. Right. So if you needed some money, like... But here's the thing. A lot of people are questioning, did she actually kill for the insurance policy or was it because he was going to tell on her about that bank stuff? But it seems not worth it. Even with him alive, she got four months for the bank robbery, eight years for the murder. She might as well just went ahead and turned herself in. Might have got too much shit. Or I ain't do it, but if I did, I probably would have pled temporary insanity and had a psychiatrist come in there about postpartum because she had mm-hmm, that baby mm-hmm. seven days before this happened. And I feel like back then nobody even considered that. Nobody was talking about postpartum, the effects of postpartum. People still don't even fully understand mm-hmm. how the chemical makeups of postpartum and how that affects every woman differently. Like no two are the same. But it may have been, of course, this wasn't, but it really could have been like an opportunity for them to really talk about what postpartum is. And I think I would have tried to plead temporary insanity because of it. Yeah. 
I ain't do it, but if I did, if he took my first shotgun, I wouldn't have gone to get another shotgun. <laughs> I don't know. I, I ain't do it, just... but if I did, I'm not sure. You, as soon as you walk into the damn house, having a shit cocked and loaded, like if you're going to go with, I was abused and we got into an argument, you might want that argument to play out, bro. Yeah, for sure. I ain't do it, but if I did, I mean, it's... nine times out of ten on these, y'all was better off leaving a nigga alive. You know, but she was smart though. Like the insurance money didn't just fall by the wayside. It was still distributed. No, it still made its way back to her or her family or whatever. So she definitely did that right. Right. I ain't do it, but if I did, I think a lot of these young professionals that go from not making any money to making a world of money, A, you need to make sure that you know exactly what is going on with your money at all times and you have the access to your money at all times. And B, you actually need to have a financial advisor, like a real one that you know personally. And if that financial advisor says that the money's not coming in, figure out why. Right. Because that's a lot of money that is easy to blow through. And you realize that it's not. My little cousin was complaining to me on the phone today about his mama. And he was like, she don't even, she make $1,000 every two weeks. I don't know why she da 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 And I was like, baby, you don't even know that that ain't even a lot of money. Like don't you, ever count nobody else's money. First of all. Don't do that. Second of all, your big ass eats everything. That's not a lot of money. Um, like, and money? people are so young and they think that money is just like, it comes to you quickly. And then they think that uh, what, what we think if, of as not a lot of money, they're like, oh yeah, this is a nice chunk of change. No, you just haven't seen this amount of money. I always, I always think of it when they say, uh, everything always costs more. Well, they say, they say, an adult $1 bill is a $20 bill. So, you know, if you, you was a kid and they gave you a dollar, you're like, well, I got a dollar. Now it's like, <laughs> I had $20. It ain't going to get me much, but it'll get me something. Girl, I found a $10 uh, bill in the washing machine and I was like, big money, big money. Like, you know what I mean? We're moving somewhere. I ain't do it, but if I did, I definitely would have done, would not have done the second shot in his head. Yeah. Because a shotgun... Girl, were you going hunting? That close? That close? He was down. He was not going to make it after that first shot. And he was playing with the first shotgun in the house. Let's not forget. That was just, I don't know who, why you thought that was a good idea. All right, I'm done. I don't have any more. I'm exhausted. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. midnight. We haven't done one of these in a long time. Yeah, we haven't. And let's go ahead and read some reviews. This one comes from our public Facebook page, Sisters Who Kill Podcast, not the discussion group. This is from Crystal. Crystal says, Mara and Taz, bravo on having an amazing Black true crime podcast. Your storytelling skills are 100% emoji. I have heard some of your murder versus crimes before, but the way you both bring out the story, I am always captivated by the different and unique ways you bring it across. I just finished listening to all the episodes and I don't think I can go back to listening to those dreary true crime podcasts. By the way, I'm from Trinidad and Tobago and I've been listening hey. to, and I've been telling everyone about your show. Keep up the fantastic job, sisters. Thank you, Crystal. Thank you. This one says, love these chicks. Facts not overly lengthy and just enough animation. Keep it up, ladies. Thanks, girl. 
Thank you. And if you want to keep up with us, you can in a lot of different ways. You can follow us on Instagram, Sisters Who Kill Pod, on TikTok, Sisters Who Kill Podcast, on Twitter, Sisters Who Kill. You can follow us on Facebook, Sisters Who Kill Podcast, and join the private discussion group. You must answer the questions to get in. Got anything else, friend? (laughs) Talk to us. We talk back. Bye. Bye.